Good to see all of you. We want to welcome those of you who are tuning in through the internet. We're glad to have you today with us. And we're going to get into Genesis chapter 45 today, God willing. And the theme of today's study is, I am Joseph. Now, you should probably know all the facts of this story by now. By the way, I want to take this opportunity to invite you to come and study with us on Tuesday evening. We've been studying the grace of God. We've looked at G for goodness, R for righteousness, A for atonement, C for covenant. And this Tuesday night, God willing, E will stand for election and for everyone that is thirsty. So I'd like to see you Tuesday night, 645. Now, I know some of you can't drive at night, but there are a lot of you that can drive at night. <laughs> and you come on, we're trying to get, the, the, it's getting darker sooner now, but come and be with us, 645. Genesis chapter 45, it's been 25 years since Joseph told his brothers his dream. He was 17 years old when he told them. 13 years later, at the age of 30, he became the governor of Egypt. And uh, then there have been seven years of blessings that have passed. That would make him 37. And there are five more years of the famine left, so he's 39 years old. When we open Genesis 45, Joseph is now 39 years old. Verse 1, Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. And he wept aloud. He was uncontrollably weeping. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's servants, heard their governor weeping. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. That's the subject for this study. Does my father yet live? And his brothers could not answer him. They were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. They came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. The brothers of Joseph had to come to Egypt like everybody else to buy food. And of course, as we have learned, this is their second trip. On their first trip, when they came before the governor, it was an absolute disaster. Their first trip was a disaster. Number one, they were accused of being thieves. Number two, their brother Simeon was put in prison, held hostage and imprisoned. Number three, they were told by the governor that they couldn't buy any more food unless their youngest brother Benjamin was with them. Benjamin's presence would collaborate their testimony that they're not thieves. At least they thought so. 
Number four, they found that the money they had used to buy food was in their sacks, which would seem to prove that they were thieves after all. Number five, they had to face their aged father, Jacob, when they got home without Simeon. So that first trip was an absolute disaster. Now this is their second trip. Their second trip went well at first. Their father, Jacob, consented to let their youngest brother, Benjamin, go to Egypt with them. And when they got there, the governor's steward explained to them that he had put their money in their sacks. That's chapter 43, verses 19 through 23. And then the governor believed their story when he saw Benjamin. And then their brother Simeon was released. Chapter 43, verse 23, he was released from prison. And then they were invited to dine with the governor. This is all in chapter 43. And then they were happily sent on their way home the next morning, chapter 44 and verse 3. But then everything turned upside down. The governor's steward, the governor's right-hand man, suddenly appeared with a group of fellows, and he said, hey, the, the governor's silver cup is missing. And they said, we didn't get it. We returned the money. He said, well, we're going to have to search your sacks. They searched all their sacks. When they got to the last sack, the sack of Benjamin, the silver cup, was found in Benjamin's sack. And uh, so at this point, they have to go back to Egypt, go back to the governor's house. We read that the governor was still there, their brother Joseph was still there. Have you wondered why they didn't recognize their brother? He's now 39 years old. He was 17 the last time I saw him. If you rec do you remember, would, would you have any ideas about why they didn't recognize him? I'll tell you. Number one, you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was talking to the Jews? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And this is what they said. They said, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? They misunderstood him. But how old was the Lord Jesus when he died? He was only about 33 years old. But they said, you're not 50. He looked much older. You know why? Because of all the burdens he was bearing. Because of all the whole nights he spent in prayer. Because of all the mess he had to put up with from people and from the devil and from everybody else. And I suspect that Joseph is the same way. I think Joseph, he's the governor. He's been under the burden of a lot of things in Egypt. He's in control of this whole food supply for millions of people. He's working night and day. And I think that's another reason why they did not recognize him, because he probably looked much older than 39 years of age. Well, it was at this point, this was our last study last Sunday, that Judah delivered, Judah, one of the boys, delivered his impassioned intercessory plea that we find in chapter 44, verses 18 through 34. Judah said, if we return home without Benjamin, Joseph said, I'm going, the governor said, I'm going to put the man in whose sack the silver cup was found, I'm going to keep him as my slave. The rest of you can go home. And Judah said, if we go home without Benjamin, 
our old dad will die. He will die. It'll be too much for him, and he will die. And Judah's pitiful plea was heart-rending, especially to Joseph. And this is what leads us to chapter 45, when Joseph just couldn't take it anymore. It says he couldn't refrain himself, verse 1 of chapter 45, and he caused every man to go out, and he burst out weeping aloud in verse 2, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Now this is our first lesson for today. Number one is this. We see the tender compassion of Joseph. Despite everything that has happened to him, despite the fact that all of his brothers have done him wrong, despite all the lies and all the cover-ups, the heart of Joseph is still tender and full of pity and full of compassion. But you know, he was a tender-hearted man. God and God's Spirit will make you tender-hearted. That's one thing about this war over in Israel. You see that there's no compassion over there. If all of those reports are true, decapitating the heads of elderly people, killing elderly people and killing babies. And I'm sorry, my friends, but <laughs> we have a president who stood up and said, well, that's inhumane to kill those babies. Well, we're killing them now in the wombs of women in this country by allowing them to have free abortions. What's the difference between killing them in the womb and killing them out of the womb? What's the difference? I don't know any difference. Babies shouldn't be killed. And the elderly shouldn't be killed. But the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ will make your heart tender. If you've got a hard heart, I'm going to tell you something about that this morning. Joseph had a tender heart because he walked with the Lord. You remember in chapter 42 when he first saw and recognized his brothers and they didn't recognize him and he accused them of being spies and they began to discuss among themselves how they had treated their brother Joseph so shamefully. And it says in chapter 42 and verse 24 that Joseph had to dismiss himself and he went out and wept. It says in chapter 43, verses 30 and 31, that when he saw his youngest brother Benjamin, he sought for a place to weep. And it says here in Genesis 45, after hearing Judah's heart-rending intercessory prayer for Benjamin and for his father, he again cannot contain himself. It says he wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians and the servants of Pharaoh Heard it. What a beautiful picture of compassion of our Savior. Our Savior is far more compassionate and pitiful than Joseph ever hoped to be. Although we have sold our Savior in exchange for the goods of this world, though we have treated him as though he were dead, people live in this world like Jesus Christ is dead. Though we have forgotten him for the most of our lives, though we have lived our lives as we have pleased, rather than what pleases him, 
though we have ignored the facts of his suffering, yet when a sinner calls upon him for mercy, we have no record that he has ever refused to reveal himself and his mercy to the person who seeks him with all of their hearts. What was it that broke Joseph's heart? It was the prayerful plea of his brother Judah. It was the evidentiary testimony, that is, the testimony that gave evidence of true repentance. I have said repeatedly in our last few studies, there can be no reconciliation without repentance. The offender must repent to effect reconciliation with the offended. And that repentance starts inside. It starts with a change of the heart. Listen to the scripture here. Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite. Word contrite there means crushed spirit. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 57, verse 15, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 66 verse 2, to this man will I look even to him that is poor in spirit and of a contrite heart and trembles at my words. As long as the brothers of Joseph are steadfast in their rebellion, as long as they are not smitten in their hearts for their sins against their brother, nothing will change. We don't know what might have happened if Judah had not pled with Joseph as he did. Now, I want you to make this point. I realize, and I have said this before, but let me say it again. I realize that saying I'm sorry and really being sorry are two different things. Now, I want you to listen to me now. I want people to be saved. But this is what's wrong with the so-called sinner's prayer. What are people told today in the churches of America? Well, you just say to Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. You can't be sorry for your sins unless God breaks your heart. You're not going to be sorry for your sins. Every man that stands in front of the judge is sorry, but he's sorry he got caught. You can't be sorry for your sins unless God breaks your heart. And this nation doesn't even know anything about what repentance is. That's what's wrong with the so-called sinner's prayer. You don't find Jesus or any of the apostles or prophets sitting down with somebody and say, now, just repeat after me. I'm sorry for my sins. You don't find that. Now, what you find is you find that God himself commands us to be sorry for our, our sin, and we can't be sorry unless he does something for us. He commands us to believe, and we can't believe unless he gives us the gift of faith. Repentance and faith are gifts of God. 
Only God can make a hard heart contrite. That's why the old Puritans used to say, God demands repentance, but I couldn't repent, and he demands faith, but I couldn't believe. It's very clear that the brothers of Joseph are truly repentant. They've been changed within, and they evidence that change by their conduct toward Benjamin and toward their father, whom they deceived. And so we note the tender compassion of Joseph, but I say again, Joseph's compassion is not to be compared with the compassion of our Savior. Do you know our Savior was called a man of sorrows? Do you know that our Savior wept over Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 23 and Luke chapter 13? Do you know that our Savior wept at the grave of Lazarus, John chapter 11 verse 35? The stories and the parables that Jesus told evidence his tender, compassionate heart. Think about the stories he told. He said, here's a man who has a hundred sheep, and one of them is lost. And what does he do? He said he goes out, and he goes to the mountains, he goes to the snow, he goes to the weather, he goes to all, to find that one sheep. Who is that person that goes out looking for that sheep? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who that is. That story is a story about compassion, about pity. How many of you this week have said anything to anybody about coming to worship the Lord? I tell you, my friends, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I personally, I'm sorry, I'm not, I, I don't have this, the spirit of the prophet that said I am only, the only one left. <laughs> I, don't, I hadn't gotten to that point yet, but I tell you what, there's not a lot of the gospel of God as revealed in Scripture being taught. Not a lot of that. These boys have had a change of heart. Joseph is compassion, but his compassion doesn't compare to our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a man who's got 100 sheep. He goes out after the one. Here's a woman that has lost corn. She's got a bunch of corn. She lost one. She keeps searching until she found it. Here's a man that had two sons. You know the, son of the, the story of the prodigal son. Here's a man that has two sons, and one of them is lost. And he, his heart is burdened until that lost son is returned home. I tell you this, my friends, on the authority of God's Word, if you will seek Him, if you say, Brother Sasser, I don't know anything about what you're talking about experientially, well, if you'll seek Him, if you'll seek Him, if, if you will go after Him, if you'll plead with Him, He will save you. He will grant you faith. He will grant you repentance. You know, we don't always weep at the beginning, but if we keep looking to the Lord, there'll come a point in which His love and His grace in light of our sins will break our hearts. You know, the Lord told Peter, He said, uh, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, not me. Not me. Peter was an old hardened fisherman. He'd whip anybody that got in his way. Not me, he said. But he did deny the Lord three times. And then it says he went out and he wept bitterly. It'll come if you keep seeking the Lord. Keep looking to Christ. Keep learning of Christ. Keep seeking Christ. And the Spirit of Christ will break your heart as you learn more of his compassion and more of the corruption of your own soul. 
In the second place, consider the means and the method of Joseph's revealing himself to him. First thing we considered is his compassion. The second thing I want you to look at are the means and methods of his revealing himself to his brothers. Now first, as I have just noted, it was the tender and tearful intercession of Judah that made Joseph's heart say, enough, this is enough, this is enough. I can't do anything more. I, I, have, to, I have to reveal myself to them. I thought of the old song, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in your behalf appears. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. The Father hears him pray. His dear anointed one, he cannot turn away the prayers of his son. Forgive him, oh, forgive he cries, don't let that poor lost sinner die. Don't let that poor lost sinner die. Now, are you listening to me? It was Judah's intercession that broke the heart of Joseph. It is from the tribe of Judah that our Lord Jesus Christ came. It is Jesus' intercession with the Father that brings our salvation. The intercession of Jesus, the Father, will not refuse. It is for the sake of his Son that we are heard when we cry for mercy. Jesus bears five scars in his body in heaven. A scar in each hand, a scar in each foot, and a scar in his side where that soldier plunged the sword. Those five scars continuously testify of his sufferings for his family in heaven. He ever lives to make intercession for all who come unto God by him. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. It doesn't mean Jesus is sitting up there praying. It means that his very presence with the scars in his physical body say, I paid for Bill Sasser's sins. And that's why when I call to the Lord, he hears me. He hears me because I've got somebody interceding for me. I've got somebody sitting at the right hand of all authority and all power. And as Judah gained forgiveness for his brothers, so Jesus gains forgiveness for his brothers and sisters. This is the second point. Now you have your Bibles open, Genesis 45. Notice what it says. It says in verse 1 that, Jesus, uh, that Joseph said, Cause every man to go out. And there was nobody there but Joseph and his brothers. Now here's my point. Here's my point. Joseph revealed himself only to his brothers. Jesus reveals himself to his brothers and to his sisters. This sort of revelation is not for strangers. This sort of revelation is a family thing. 
You know what? Joseph had a lot of servants. Get this now. Joseph had a lot of servants, but they didn't know him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know he was the brother and the son of Jacob way down in Canaan. They didn't really know him. And Jesus has got a lot of servants who don't know him. And he will say to them on that day, I never knew you, but we did this. We preached in your name. We taught in your name. We did Sunday school. We, 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 we led singing. We played the piano. We, we were deacons and elders. He said, I never knew you. My friends, you be sure you make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you'll never fail. This world does not want anything to do with the Lord Jesus, and the Lord doesn't have much to do with this world either. He revealed himself only to his brothers. It was a family thing. It was not for strangers. So we're told very, very plainly in verse 1, Joseph, the last part of verse 1, Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. That's what he said. It is by divine revelation that anyone comes to know who Jesus really is. He once asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Some of them say you're one of the prophets come back, reincarnated. Some of them say you're John the Baptist. Who do you say that I am? They said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is what Jesus said. Blessed art thou, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This is a divine thing, a divine revelation. Gee, Joseph revealed himself only to his brothers. Who are the brothers and sisters of Christ? You can read about it in Matthew 12 and Mark chapter 3. Jesus was teaching in a house, and somebody came up to him and said, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they want to talk to you. And the Scripture says that Jesus stretched forth his hands to those who were sitting there listening to him teach, looking round about on them that sat about him, and he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whosoever should do the will of my Father in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. And who does the will of the Father? John chapter 6, verse 39 through 40, This is the Father's will which sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life. That's the Father's will, that we believe on His Son. Joseph had a physical relationship with his brothers. We have a spiritual relationship with Christ as His brothers and sisters. After all, he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, right? So why did he come into the world? He came into the world, Matthew 1, 21, to save his family, to save his people from their sins. John chapter 10, he came to save his sheep. He calls them by name. So I'm asking you, have you come to him? All the Father has given me will come to me, he says. Have you come to him? He will make the arrangements for you to come to him if it's in your heart to do so. Joseph was in control of all the arrangements to reveal himself to his brothers 
And Jesus is in control of all the circumstances to reveal himself to his brothers and sisters. So again, divine revelation, finding out who the Lord is, is not for strangers. It's a family thing. Next, it's a sovereign thing. Joseph was in total control of the situation. He put out of the room whom he pleased, and he kept in the room whom he pleased. And Jesus did the same thing. When he would go in to heal somebody, he'd put out all the unbelievers, and he would keep those two or three disciples in there with him, and then he would perform a miracle. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, No man knows the Son but the Father, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. John chapter 6, verse 44 through 65, or verse 44 and 65, No man can come unto me except the Father whence hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Has he drawn you? Joseph was in control of this situation, and Jesus is in control. And let me tell you something else. Divine revelation can be a fearful thing. A fearful thing. Now look at verse 3. Verse 3, Genesis 45, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him. They were troubled at his presence. Believe me, that is a very, very mild translation. That's a very mild translation. They were absolutely... Well, let me ask you this. Can we doubt, can we deny that Joseph used fear to work on his brothers for their good? Can you imagine what a shock and what astonishment must have gripped them in that moment? The brother they hated is the governor? The one they sold is their Lord. The one who could free them or imprison them is Joseph. My friends, at that moment, they were white-faced. They were absolutely astonished and in unbelief. How could it be? And they were right in themselves to be fearful. For they had done him a terrible wrong, an inexcusable wrong. Notice right here what he says in verse 4. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, they don't have any good news at this point. <laughs> They're just in shock. I am your brother, that you sold into Egypt. In America today, we have completely abandoned the fear of God. Now, I want you to listen to me. You can go back and listen to this study again. But lack of a healthy fear of God marks an ungodly generation. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans chapter 3, verse 18, that's the last thing it says after it names all of these things that they do. It says, here's the root cause of it. 
beginning in verse 9 of Romans 3 and getting down to verse 18, the root cause is there's no fear of God before their eyes. And having no fear of God marks an unwise and foolish generation. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The brothers of Joseph were haughty when he was 17 years old, but now all that's gone. Right now, men and women in the United States, they throw, they throw off the fear of God. They don't want to hear anything about fearing God. We're living in a party generation. This is a Noahic generation, the generation that's like Noah, when everybody's partying, everybody's doing their own thing, everybody's making merry. Men are marrying men, women are marrying women. They're robbing, going into stores and robbing, they're raping, and they dare anyone to do anything about it. What's the problem? There's no fear of God before their eyes in this generation. You saw on TV, I know all of you saw it, all of those young Israeli young people having a party. They were all having a party, and before you know it, boom, the Hamas came in there and killed over 200 of them before you could blink your eye. How'd you like to see that on a worldwide scale? There's only one place to hide, and that's in Christ. If you're not hiding in Christ, you don't have any insurance. <laughs> You don't have any guarantee of anything if you're not hiding in Christ. But this generation, I think we are beginning to see the beginning of the wrath of God. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and I don't make predictions, but we're beginning to see now more earthquakes, wars and rumors of wars, hatred of those who are good despisers of those who want to do right. We are seeing unparalleled wickedness. When Joseph said, I'm your brother whom you sold, believe me, their hearts sunk into their stomachs. The governor, the one that holds us in his hands, that's the one we sold. That's exactly what we did to Christ. That's exactly what we did to the Lord Jesus Christ. We sold him off, we put him off, and we're still putting him off today in this wicked and ungodly generation. Here's the next thing, though, and I'll leave you with this good positive word. Divine revelation is for the family. Divine revelation can be fearful. But divine revelation can be a forgiving thing. Notice what Joseph says to his brothers here. Verse 4, they're, they're, they're scared to death. Verse 3, they're scared to death. They're troubled at his presence. Joseph said in verse 4, come near to me. What did God say at Mount Sinai when he came down on the mountain and gave his holy law? He said, if anything or anyone comes into this mountain, they'll be immediately killed. God in his holiness, God in his righteousness, God is a consuming fire. That's what we're told in the book of Hebrews. Our God is a consuming fire. Don't, you can't get near him unless you have 
a relationship to him through his son. Through his son. You see, at Sinai, God said, stay away. But when Jesus came into this world and sat down to teach, he said, come near. He said, get up close where you can hear everything I'm telling you. Because I'm full of mercy, I'm full of grace, I'm full of long-suffering. This is what Joseph says, come near. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. They were drawn back in horror and great fear, and Joseph said, come near. Then he said in verse 4, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, he could have said, when he looked at them, he could have said, I am your worst nightmare. I'm your worst nightmare. I'm your executioner. I'm your judge. I'm the one you thought you would never see again. This world thinks they've seen the last of Jesus. But they haven't, brother. He's coming again. And those who know him will wait on him. But he didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm your worst nightmare. He didn't say, I'm your judge. He didn't say, I'm your executioner. He didn't say, I'm going to get you guys back for all this mess you put on me. He said, no, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. I'm the one you sold. And he said, I'm Joseph. His, his name is Yosef. Which means the one added. Joseph means Adif. Yosef. Jehovah has added. I'm the one that God added to, to the family to save the family. And what is he concerned about? First of all, he's concerned about his father. Verse 3, I'm Joseph. Does my father yet live? Who was Jesus concerned about when he was here? I always do those things that please him. He's concerned about the Father. He was concerned about the Father's will. Come near, he says. You can't come near to God unless you're invited by Jesus to come near. You can come near in Christ. Nearer, oh, nearer to God. Nearer I cannot be in the person of his Son. I am as near as he. Then he says this. This is amazing. <laughs> he says, verse 5, he says, Don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I have forgiven you. Forgive yourselves. That's exactly what he's saying. I have forgiven you. You need to forgive yourselves. And he points them to how he can say that, he said, the Lord God was behind the whole thing. He sent me to preserve life. He sent me to preserve life. Why did God send his son into the world? To preserve life. To save a number which no man can number. To save his family. To save his brothers, his spiritual brothers and sisters. Forgive yourselves. I have forgiven you. And he says, God's, in his sovereignty, used you in spite of yourselves to bring all of this to pass. 
absolutely amazing. You know, there are passages in the Bible. I'm not going to have, have you go to them today because in the interest of time. But there are passages in the Bible where God says to Israel, I'm going to raise up this nation because of your disobedience, because you wouldn't listen to me, you wouldn't hear me. I'm going to raise up this nation, and I'm going to bring them against you, Israel. And I'm going to punish you, and I'm going to chastise you, and I'm going to scatter you throughout all the nation. And then when I've accomplished that, then I'm going to bring judgment on that nation that I used to bring judgment on you. My friends, listen to me. God is righteous. God is holy. But he's not bound. He's not bound to what we think is right. We are bound to what he says is right. The Lord our God is a righteous God, and the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. And I'm asking you this morning, do you, you know anything about Jesus? His brothers didn't even recognize their own brother, the brothers of Joseph and people in this world, though we've got a whole book. We've got 66 books here. We've got four Gospels. We've got a book of history and the book of Acts. We've got all these epistles and letters that tell us about Jesus, and people in this generation don't know anything. They don't know anything about it. I can hear them talk. I hear them talk on television. I hear them talk on the news. Now, you're going to hear uh, right now because of what's going on in Israel, you're going to hear a lot of people now start talking religiously. You're going to see people start going back to church. You're going to see people just like when we had our 9-11 over here. The churches were full. But now it's years later. We've forgotten all about it. I can't tell you how many funerals I've done. I've done hundreds and hundreds of funerals. Hundreds of funerals. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people moved at a funeral. And six months later, they're all better, and they forget all about it. They forget all about it. Here's what the book of Revelation says. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. We all had a hand in the murder of the Son of God. You realize he was murdered. You say, but God sent him. Yes, God sent him. But I just told you, God set a nation against Israel, and then he sends a nation against that nation. He went out against Israel. The worst murder in the history of the human race is the murder of the Son of God. And we all had a hand in it. And we're going to be accused of it unless we gain forgiveness through faith in Him. These brothers gained forgiveness because Joseph had a tender heart. Joseph himself was a sinner, and he knew he needed mercy. And he realized that, that God's hand was in the whole affair. And so he was able to say, God did send me before you. And he used you in all of your envy and all of your jealousy to bring all of this to pass. I'm Joseph, your brother. I want Jesus to say to me, Bill, I'm, I'm your brother. I'm the one that died for you. 
Come near to me. Come near to me. You sold me. But now when I look at the hand of God, I see that God used his death to pay for my sins, to redeem me. That's the heart of the gospel. Can you see that? Cast yourselves upon him. Do not be ashamed to confess him. Own him as your Lord and as your Savior. Learn all you can about him. That's why we, we meet twice a week out here. Try to teach you about the, the Lord and about his word. And you should make yourself available to hear it. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. I sure hope that all of us here today are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not, I pray that today you will begin to seek him. Today you will believe on him. Today you will say to the Father in heaven, you don't have to say anything to me. You say to the Father in heaven, I believe Jesus is your son. The best I can, I'm going to believe on him. I know I'm not as sorry for my sins as I'm going to be, as I have been or as I ought to be. But I'm going to seek him. And as you seek him, and as you walk with him, and as you learn of him, you will be overwhelmed like Joseph was, overwhelmed with his love and his grace for a sinner like you. I've been driving in my car many times when the Lord will overwhelm me with his grace and mercy and I'll be boohooing and crying and trying to drive through the traffic because I realize what a great and gracious Savior he is to save a sinner like me. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's sing.